Uh, this morning's reading is from 1 Kings 19, and I'm reading from the NIV version. In the previous chapter, Elijah had an altar off between the Baal worshippers and the Lord God Almighty. The Lord God answered Elijah's prayer with fire on the altar, and a short time later, God also answered his prayer with a break from the drought with heavy rain. So reading from 1 Kings chapter 19, the first 18 verses. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Oops, I missed a line there, sorry. He said, I have not enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he travelled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Get out, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Haziel, 
and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. Thank you. Well, good morning. It's uh, nice to be with you on what is a very significant day, is it not? At 12.56 p.m., perhaps just as the soup and rolls lunch is coming to an end, we will stop and remember that 50 years ago to the moment, Neil Armstrong took that giant leap for mankind as he stepped onto the moon. That's still astonishing to think about, isn't it? That someone went way up there, boldly going where no one had gone before, and uh, stepped out onto the lunar surface. All uh, over the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at that, haven't we, in the media, and there's been lots of pictures of people, you know, to do with the time, and what people were doing at the time, and who was alive at that time? Who else? I was alive at the time. Who else? Yeah, a smattering of us, a good number of us. Who remembers what they were doing at 12.56 back on the 21st, right, as Armstrong stepped out? Lots of you remember what you were doing. Well, my mum tells me that I slept through the whole thing. And I slept through the whole thing because back 50 years ago, on that day, we were still living in Northern Ireland. And it was four o'clock in the morning in Northern Ireland. And uh, we boys like me at the time were all tucked up in bed at 4 a.m., no matter what was going on on the moon. But my mum tells me that my brother John, who's a couple of years older than me, was downstairs. We had a two-story house. He was downstairs with mum and dad. But he was downstairs and wide awake because uh, he had a really bad toothache that night. And John apparently was lying while Armstrong was way up there John was lying with his head under a cushion in agony with this terrible toothache. And truth be told, he's terrified of dentists. And so he's probably in agony with the toothache. And he's thinking, oh, I don't want to go to the dentist, whatever happens. So there we had humanity soaring to perhaps its greatest achievement and greatest height. And yet this young fella, lying low in pain, and this other guy snoozing through the whole thing. Well, highs, lows, and cruising along and being snoozy. Seems to me they're all part of the human experience as we live our life here on planet Earth. Sometimes we feel so high, don't we? Almost as high as the moon. You know, we are so excited, we're so in love, we're so successful, everything's going so well. We are flourishing, we're full of life, we're full of vitality, we are feeling terrific. We're almost coming into church thinking, somebody please ask me how I'm going, how my week has been, it's been fabulous, and I'm feeling wonderful because of that. But then there are others of us, and we might be what we'd say would be languishing. We are really low. And we're doing well to be here. Okay, and we're kind of thinking this week, this month, this year, it's been really hard. And I'm almost dreading somebody asking me how I'm feeling because there's a whole lot of stuff 
going on inside me that I might or might not want to share. And then maybe there's some of us, and it's been another week, it's another day, we're kind of snoozy, cruisy, just kind of fair to middle, and, you know, life's just going along. So all those conditions, the highs, the lows, the kind of in-between ordinariness, seems to me they're all part of normal human life for us on our planet and in our day. And uh, we've been looking at the prophet Elijah over the past month or so, and uh, the New Testament writer James tells us that Elijah was a person just like us. It's a good reminder. Elijah was a person just like us. He was a prophet, but he was a person. He was a human being. He wasn't Superman. He wasn't one of the Avengers or anything. He was a man, a person, a human being, someone who lived on our planet just like us. And so as we read about Elijah in this book, One Kings, in the Old Testament, it's not surprising that as we read Elijah's experiences that we see sometimes when he's really high and sometimes when he's really low and sometimes when he's just kind of doing life. And that's how it is often as we read about people through the Bible. They're all people just like us. They live life on a world, this world, just like us. They're not living life on the moon and beaming back messages to write in the Bible. They're living in this world. The people like us, real people, going through real stuff. And so it's not surprising that as we read their stories and as we read the story of Elijah, that we see here's a man who knew the highs and lows of life. You know, like two weeks ago, uh, it was Pete was sharing with us from 1 Kings 18 about uh, one of the real highs in Elijah's experience. It was the big religious showdown on Mount Carmel when Elijah challenged 850 prophets of the false gods or of the idols, the pagan gods. And Elijah kind of challenged them to what you might call a pray-off. You know, at the World Cup last week in the cricket, they had that super over, and it all came down to that. Well, 1 Kings 18 was a bit like that. It's this pray-off between Elijah and these other prophets, right? And they're, they're having this contest, if you like, and it's all about whose God is the real God, And we know as we uh, read that passage and as Pete preached it to us that uh, we see that Elijah's God, the God of Israel, the Lord, he is God, he is real. And the others are shown to be phony. And uh, in that passage, there's this great triumph for God as he sends far down from heaven. And it's an awesome uh, show of God's sovereign power and might. And the crowd go wild there, you know, they get really excited by all that they've seen. And, and uh, the, the writer of Kings tells us that they fell prostrate and they cried, the Lord, he's God, the Lord, he's God. They're taking up this kind of chant. And then all the rival prophets are slaughtered. And uh, Elijah at the end of that passage is really full of energy now and, and confidence. And he even goes up to the king, King Ahab, and he says, mate, get in your chariot and get out of here. Because there's been a drought for a while, but God is about to, to send a massive downpour of rain. And you better get out of here, Ahab, and get back to your palace, because God is going to do an amazing thing in our land. And Ahab gets in his chariot, and he takes off to try to escape the rain. But Elijah is so pumped. 
Elijah is so full of enthusiasm and energy and the power of God that he takes off after the chariot, and the writer tells us he outran the chariot for 30 kilometers. This is a man who's up, all right? This is a man on a high. This guy is full of energy, full of the spirit. You can almost imagine, you know, Elijah's running, and he's saying to people, ask me how I'm going. Ask me what life is like. It's terrific. We've just seen the mountaintop. The rain's on its way. I've sent a king running back to his palace. Whoop! I am Elijah, the prophet of God. What a high. Then we flip over to the next chapter, 1 Kings chapter 19. And Elijah's running again. Run, Elijah, run, we're seeing here. But now he's running for his life. Running for his life. And he runs and he comes to a tree out in the desert and he falls down under it and he prays this really short prayer. God, I've had enough, let me die. What a slump. What a crash. You know, the hero of 1 Kings 18 is now feeling like a massive big fat zero a chapter later. He stood up for God on the mountaintop, but now he's lying low in the desert. I've had enough. Just let me die. This guy's crashed into a place of despair, probably depression, we might say, and defeat. Just feeling incredibly alone and overwhelmed. What? What happened? Why? Why? Why this crash? Why this turnaround? What brought Elijah down to this low place? Well, we read in verse 3 of 1 Kings 19 that he was afraid. Fancy that. Elijah, the mountaintop man, afraid. He had been so bold before King Ahab. But now he remembered that behind every king or behind that king stood a very scary queen. All right, a woman called Jezebel. And Jezebel was a fearsome woman. And Jezebel was devoted to her idols. Even after what had happened on Mount Carmel, Jezebel in 1 Kings 19 still calls them her gods. She's devoted to these idols. And so she's furious that Elijah had humiliated her gods on the mountaintop. And she's furious that Elijah had uh, overwhelmed her prophets on the mountaintop. Because in doing that, Elijah had humiliated her. And the queen was not well pleased. And so she wanted his head. And she was a ruthless woman and a formidable woman. And Elijah was afraid of her. And the fear drained the life out of him. Elijah was a man just like us. And maybe you know, you can identify with what was happening for him there. Because you know, there might be something, might be someone that looms really large in your world. And you're scared of them. 
or scared of that. And it sucks the life out of you. Well, you know, you're not alone. Because I reckon we all have things like that. I reckon we all might put on a really brave front and sometimes we feel really brave and we are really brave. But there are things that scare us. There are fears that trouble us. There are anxieties that uh, wear us out. And though we know fear, and I want to say it's okay to say, I'm afraid, I'm scared. Because that's part of human living in our world. There's some big scary things in the world, in our individual worlds even. And they cause us to fear, just as Elijah feared. I think as well as being afraid, I reckon Elijah was also disappointed. I think he was disappointed about how much of an impact the big showdown on the mountaintop had had on life around him. I think he might have come down from that mountaintop and run towards that palace thinking revival is breaking out in the land. And he's maybe thinking it's going to start with the, at the top with the king and queen and filter out to everybody else. I reckon that might have been a reasonable expectation for him after the drama of chapter 18. But as chapter 19 begins, King Ahab isn't crediting God with any of it. He's blaming Elijah for all of it. Do you notice that in the text? Ahab doesn't go home and say to Jezebel, Yahweh, the Lord just did an amazing thing on the mountaintop. He just says, this prophet just caused a whole lot of trouble. So he's missed God in the whole thing. And Jezebel, she's still swearing by her gods. So it's like nothing's changed much down at the palace. And Elijah is saying, hey, for all my bold witness, for all my faithful service, for all my great praying, nothing's changed. Twice in 1 Kings 19, he tells God that he has been very zealous for God. I've been full on for you, God. But the Israelites have rejected the covenant, they've broken your altars, and they've killed your prophets. It's all falling apart around him. It all seems like it's come to nothing. You know, Elijah had tried so hard. He had done so much, been so intense and so faithful, but with no gain, and it looked like it was all falling apart around him. And you can hear his disappointment in his encounters with God, can't you, in this passage? And maybe you can't, you're not just hearing them, but you're relating to them. Because okay, maybe you say, you know, I have tried to be faithful. To the best of my ability, I've done the right things. I have served God maybe for years. I have given my very best, and it has not worked out as I had hoped and expected. And like Elijah, instead of finding yourself in a beautiful, fruitful place and reaping a harvest you find yourself in a desert of disappointment. I think Elijah was exhausted. Done a lot of running, you know, but I don't think it was just the physical running. No, that'd wear you out. Needed some recovery. 
but uh, he hadn't just run and given out physical energy. He'd, he'd poured himself out spiritually. And if you've ever been involved in like intense praying or intense ministry or mission or something, you know you put a whole lot of spirit and energy into that and it can really, really drain you. And so I think this guy is exhausted. And I think, you know, he says to God, I've had enough. You know, I did the mountain. Let's just, you know, I just need a holiday, God. I just need a break. Uh, he couldn't take any more and he couldn't have any more to give. He's exhausted. Felt done. And I think Elijah might also, so he's fearful, he's disappointed, he's exhausted. I think he might also here be suffering the effects of trauma. And I was made aware of this in a conversation I had a few years ago where I was actually looking at this passage with a bunch of uh, pastors, mostly from uh, refugee backgrounds, uh, some of our Burmese and uh, Sudanese and, and other pastors from those backgrounds. And uh, we were talking around what we could learn from this passage in terms of like self-care and ministry and stuff. And, um, and one of the, the female um, refugee pastors actually put her hand up and she said, uh, I think he was traumatized. He had just seen 850 people slaughtered. And she said to me, David, when you experience that kind of thing, it takes a heavy toll. And she was speaking from some experience. You know, we, we kind of almost like glibly read over statements like that, don't they? 150 people were killed on that mountaintop, and he saw it. That's brutal. That's awful and traumatizing. And so I think Elijah may have, in part two, just that, the reality of that kind of hit him, you know, and it traumatizes him. And maybe you've been through some really tough things in life or you've seen some really awful things. And that can knock the stuffing out of you as well. You know, it can really leave you feeling drained and you can feel like, I just don't think I can take any more or give any more. I've had enough. So here's Elijah. He's well away from the mountain now. He's a man who's drained. He's a man who's disappointed. He's probably depressed. And I wonder if you ever find yourself in a state maybe a bit like that. Do you know what it is to be a man or a woman just like Elijah? We're told he's like us. Well, do you know what it's like to be a bit like him? Well, you know, Jesus did. Our Lord did. And one of the interesting things when you read through the Gospels is to remember that Jesus, our Lord, came in the flesh and in real human flesh. He was a person just like us. Yes, divine Son of God, Saviour of the world, but a person fully human, just like us. And so he had... Amazing high times when heaven would open up above him and around him. You know, transfiguration, his baptism and so on. He had the experience of being right there in the midst of, you know, incredible miracles that just blow your mind. But then Jesus, so he had the mountaintops, but Jesus also had the desert times and not just when he went out into the wilderness. But, you know, as we read through the Gospels, we see it talking about the fact that, well, Jesus got tired from the journey. He got thirsty. He was hungry because he's a person you need to eat, you need to drink. He wept, and he wept buckets at some points. 
And under stress in Gethsemane, we're told he even sweated blood, which I'm told is a kind of rare medical condition, you know, where people under intense pressure, or sometimes blood will come from their eyes and things. So that, you know, these things happen, but they happen under incredible stress. In Hebrews 4.15, we're told that our Lord is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, for he was tempted or tested in every way, just as we are. God became human, just like us. Jesus, uh, to quote the prophet Isaiah's prophecy, was a man of sorrows, familiar or acquainted with suffering. He knew what it was to go through really difficult times and to feel the anguish and the sorrow of those times. The reformer John Calvin made a comment where he said, Christ put on our feelings along with our flesh. And I think sometimes, you know, if we're theologically wired up, we think about, yep, we've got to affirm the incarnation of Christ, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and so on. And so we get all that factual thing, yes, in some kind of almost transactional way, he became a human being. But I like Calvin's comment there that he put on our feelings along with our flesh. So it wasn't just the reality of the human, of the human life, it was the actual experience of it. You know, he, he didn't just walk as a man, he felt. I found that deeply encouraging. You know, it was a one giant leap for God when he stepped into our world and walked as a human being through all the ups and downs of the journey that you and I make through life. It tells me that uh, he understands me. Not in an academic, intellectual kind of, you know, all-knowing kind of way, but he understands life in a lived kind of way. In, in doing this as well, he, the Lord actually showed, because he went through those human experiences, he shows that that is the human experience. You know, that's what life looks like. It's got high times and low times and middling times, like I was talking at the beginning. Even if you're God in human flesh... So Elijah experienced all of this as well, and he was a person just like us. So what this tells us and what I'm driving at is that it is normal to experience great times and normal to experience hard times in life. It is normal to feel fear. It is normal and human to feel disappointments, to get drained and tired, to feel like you've had enough. That's what it means to be human in our world. And in low times, when we're feeling and we're in those places, we need to give ourselves permission to be human. When I did supervised field education a million years ago when I was training as a pastor, I can remember, you know, I was a bit of an overanalyzer, and I'd sit there and have to report to my supervisor, who's a lovely man, right, and deeply encouraging, but I'd report to him fortnightly about what I'd been doing and how it was affecting me and what I was reflecting on it and all that sort of thing. And I can remember one day just sitting and kind of saying to him, oh, well, I was feeling this, and I was thinking that, and I probably shouldn't have those kind of thoughts about that. I think there was a bit too much of me in that moment, and, you know, I was doing all... And he just said to me, David... Give yourself permission to be human. It's a really important bit of self-talk. Give yourself permission to be a human being. 
to feel stuff and not just high, wonderful stuff, but low, tough stuff. That's real stuff. And it's not odd. And it's not weak and unspiritual or unfaithful or anything. It's human. Even Jesus felt that stuff. Even Elijah felt that stuff. He was a person just like us. We have permission, folks, to be human beings. Let's give ourselves that permission to say, there's a whole journey here and I'm on it. Doesn't mean if we're just stuck somewhere that we say, well, this is me and me forever. But it's about saying, okay, wherever I'm at, whatever I'm experiencing, that is part of the human experience. That's part of the human experience. I, I am a human being. I do live on planet Earth. And we want to give each other, I believe, some sympathy and some permission to be human as well. You know, because we want to understand that life can be hard. It might be great for me today, or I might be in a middle place where I just think, what's all the fuss about life? But other people, even in this room today, there will be people who are doing life hard, who are feeling low. And that's normal, that's human, that's how it is. And we need to give ourselves and one another permission for that. So we don't have to turn up to church and say, oh, I'm in church, I'd better put on a smile, pretend I'm wonderful because that's what Christians think life is all about. No, I can walk in and know this is me. If you ask me how I'm going, I might say fabulous, I might say, oh, just plain ordinary, or I might say actually doing it tough. And it's important that we give each other the space to experience all of that and to be in all of that and that we respond to one another in real ways, in and through all of that. Right? Just because I'm feeling a bit blue someday doesn't mean I'm in a crisis, it just means I'm feeling a bit blue. I remember getting up in one church, and just you know, as an introduction to worship or something, I said, oh, you know those days when you feel a bit blue? And afterwards, I had two people come to me and say, is everything all right between you and Annette? <laughs> and I said, yeah, why? They said, oh, because you'd mentioned being a bit blue. And I said, no, I just feel a bit flat. Well, well, I mean, that's all right, isn't it? To feel a bit blue. It's all right if you feel a bit blue today. You don't have to be happy, supercharged. All right? You might just have woken up and thought, oh, it's winter, it's cold, it's wet. The crows lost the other night, you know, whatever. Right? It's a bad day. All right? Yeah, that happens. That's real. Let's give ourselves permission for that. Let's give one another permission to feel those things. We are people just like Elijah. We will have the highs of 18 and the lows of 19. Let's try to meet one another where we are. Not where we would like each other to be, or we would like people to think we are, but let's try to meet each other where we are and as we are. Not denying the reality of life's challenges, but understanding that highs and lows are both part of normal human life here on our planet. This is all about loving one another. But it's about meeting one another where we are and as we are and accepting that and engaging at that level, whatever state we are in. Well, God met Elijah where he was. There he is under the tree praying that he wants to die. And God met Elijah under that tree just as much as God met him on the mountaintop at the altar. And God meets us where we are and as we are. And God is faithful. You know, he came to Elijah on the mountain and he came to him in the tree. 
God is faithful. God turns up. God is there. Jeremiah talks about that in Lamentations chapter 3, where he talks about, I'm going through a really tough time. He talks about, like, feel like my face has kind of been shoved in the gravel. You know, I'm really in a tough spot. And yet he says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope, because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed, but he's faithful, and his mercies come to us fresh every morning. God turns up even in the low places. God is there, and he cares for us. And God brings these mercies fresh every morning. It's like you're staying in God's B&B and he turns up with the, the, the hot bread and the beautiful, you know, breakfast every morning. Here's sustenance for the day. That's what God is like. He turns up with goodness. He's the God for all seasons. He's the God for all states of mind and states of emotion and states of spiritual vitality or whatever. God is there and he's faithful and he's merciful and gracious. And it's interesting because in chapter 19, God came to Elijah not once, but he came a number of times through that chapter. It wasn't to be a kind of a once-off, quick fix, five minutes with God and you'll be right, mate, kind of experience. It's interesting. God comes to him and you think, oh, well, that's sorted it. And then Elijah's back again a bit later and he says, I still feel like I want to die. I still feel like everything's going bad. I still feel like I'm alone. And God's with him again. So sometimes it's a journey. It's not a quick fix. And here we see the God who is patient and the God who perseveres, even while his prophet is struggling to get hold of it. And this is how God engages with us. He's really patient. He perseveres. He persists in loving. David wrote in Psalm 103, God is our compassionate Father, he knows how we are formed. He remembers we are dust. He knows we're human. He knows that. And he loves us in all our frailty and all our failures. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He overflows with loving kindness. You know, on the mountaintop, Elijah saw God's sovereign power. But in the desert, Elijah experienced God's tender mercy, didn't he? God showed up in a different way for Elijah. God met Elijah, in, as you're reading through chapter 19, God met Elijah in really intimate and gentle ways. You know, it's a beautiful little scene at the start under the tree when Elijah's struggling and he's, you know, sleeping and stuff. And God just kind of comes along through his angel and gives him the nudge, wakes him up and says, I've got a snack. I've got a snack for you. It's like, you know, when you're a kid and you're not feeling too well and your mum comes in and she's prepared something just to, you know, cheer you up a bit. It's like God says, here, here you are. Look what I've got for you. And then there's Elijah later on in the chapter and he's at this sacred mountain and, you know, there's earthquakes and wind and fire and all that kind of dramatic stuff. But he finds God in the whisper. And it's like he didn't really need earthquake, wind, and fire, you know? He just needed, he was low, Elijah. He just needs a little bit of sensitive care. And so God comes in, he's like, Elijah, Elijah. It's just really nice, isn't it? It's really kind and gentle. And that's God. That's God at work. That's how God comes to us as well, with compassion, with grace, with mercy. He remembers that we are dust. And that's good when we feel like dust. 
that God says, I'm, I know what you're like. I remember you are dust and I love you. So you don't have to be brilliant and firing on all cylinders to be loved by God. He remembers that we are dust and he loves us. It's beautiful. He comes to Elijah with these gifts that are going to give him sustenance and hope that will help him to rise up and move on with life. He brings him in a very practical way. There's food, there's water, because you're a human being. You need to eat. You need to drink. You've got to look after yourself, Elijah. Come on. God's presence is there. He feels all alone, but God's there. God brings him perspective. He's despairing. I'm the only one. Everyone else is unfaithful. I'm the only you know, believer in the world kind of thing. And God comes and he whispers to him and he, he, gives, he speaks truth into Elijah's darkness. You're not the only one, Elijah. I've got 7,000 believers. Be encouraged. And God gives him purpose. Elijah's like, I've had enough. I'm done. That's it. End of the road. And God says, no, we haven't finished yet. We'll get you nourished, we'll get you up, we'll get you encouraged, and then there'll be some stuff to do because you're still my servant, Elijah. I still have mission for you to do. And God gives him a mate, Elisha, to help him in all of that, just to share the heavy load. Well, these are all gifts that God offers to us as well because you know, he knows that we're people just like Elijah and we need those things as well. So we have... Uh, Provisions for life. We have God's presence. We have his perspective. We have purpose from God. These are all designed to be gifts that help us to move on in life with God. And they're there for us to take hold of when we hit low times. So maybe sometimes when we're feeling really low, even if we don't feel like it, we just got to eat something. Just grab a sandwich from the fridge, you know. Drink a can of Coke. You know, just something to keep you going. We need to be assured that God is faithful even in the dark. Maybe especially in the dark. You know, when it seems like all the spiritual lights have gone out for us. God's still there whispering his truth. He's present in the dark as he is in the bright, fiery lights of 1 Kings 18. There are others who are making the journey with you. You're not alone. And it can be hard, but it's good to be open to find the person that God has for you and to find God's purpose for you. He's never finished with us. Never finished with us. So these are all gifts for us to receive and they're gifts to share with one another as we seek to love and support each other, whether we're doing that on the mountain or in the desert. So I want to encourage us to seek to serve one another as our Lord served Elijah. Let's meet each other where we are and how we are. Let's be patient and persevere with each other. There's not always quick fixes and spiritual pick-me-ups. Sometimes it's a tough journey and we want to hang in there with each other. Let's offer support and friendship and hope Let's not impose it. Let's not be pushy on each other. But let's say, I'm here if you want me. I'm here if you need me. You don't need to walk alone. I'll walk with you. We all know the journey's hard. 
And as we're making the journey, let's keep pointing one another in really gentle ways to our wonderful God who knows what we're going through, walk the road, and who meets us with mercy and grace and strength for the journey. Let's share his gifts, gifts of grace and mercy that are for people like Elijah and like you and me. Let's pray. Father God, you're just amazing. You're so wonderfully good. It would be just fabulous for us to know and be sure that you are the mighty God who was on that mountaintop. You are the true and holy one, God Almighty. But you know that sometimes we're a long way from the mountaintop and we're in a hole. We're in a desert. We feel we're dumb. And in those times, Lord, we don't need to be impressed by you. We just want to be held by you and loved by you. And we thank you that you do that. That you are gracious and compassionate. That you just overflow with loving kindness. Would you help us, we pray, to be open to you today and just to hear the things you want to whisper to us. So I pray that you would give us ears to hear you and eyes to see you even when it seems really hard. And would you help us, we pray, to see and hear each other and to be understanding and accepting and patient and to find ways to walk the journey, hard as it may be, and to hang in there with loving one another in practical ways. Help us to be uh, your people to your people. Help us to be your gifts to the people around us and uh, to be a blessing. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to uh, sing a song and then close the service. And I understand that afterwards uh, the prayer room is available. If maybe you're, you've come today and you're maybe carrying some stuff and you think, well, hey, uh, I'd love to just sit with someone and we could pray about this, bring it to God, then that's a great opportunity to do that. might be if you, don't, if you want to go to the prayer room, you can talk to uh, Pete, one of the leaders. You can talk to me if you like. Um, happy to hear each other and pray for each other and uh, let's support one another in the journey. Thank you.